Alright, let's get rocking here. Alright, let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that was a horrible clap. Oh, we gotta get rid of this clap. There you go. Avoid they the clap, to. Jimmy Doobie. You, got, you yeah. have to avoid it. <laughs> they got stuff for that now. Fact. Hey, everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio. Good morning. It's uh, what is it? Sunday. Sunday morning. I didn't. I didn't drink with Tucker last night, and I'm having a Tucker reaction here. Well, you know, it kind of spills over. Yeah. <laughs> Osmosis. Anyhow, we're here in the studio with uh, Jack Dewan, Irish Tillerman, and we're going to have a pretty good. Actually, this is going to be fantastic. So it's going to be awesome. It's already been yeah. a good two hours since we've right. been sitting here. Jack, good morning. Thanks for good joining morning. us, brother. Guys, thank you for having me. Uh, total privilege. It was four hours to get here, and I'd do it again. This was. Oh. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm four wicked. hours to come yeah. see us. I guess. I, Sorry, brother. Am I a little retired? Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> I, I, I listen. Thank you. Thank okay. you for uh, doing that for us. Thank and you. Uh, it's been cool, man. This is this is what we do. I, mean, I never had guilt of disappointing somebody. So much. <laughs> <laughs> I never had four hours to be excited about this. <laughs> wow. But uh, Jack, awesome. I mean, you are your guy that uh, you and I had talked uh, quite a long time ago and reached yeah. out to each other just through. Instagram, and I think that's important to talk about real quick before we sure. get into your bio and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I, there's so much good coming out of social media. We always talk about the bad, but there's a lot of good coming oh, out of it. Almost definitely. And you and I wouldn't be sitting, we wouldn't be sitting here today of with course. you if it wasn't for Instagram. Right. So I love it, man. So yeah. thank you for the support, following National Fire Radio and, and thank chatting you. with us. Thank you. And so on. But um, let's do this, man. Let's get into Jack's story. Yeah. It's quite a story. All right, Jack. So born... So, uh, born in Boston, uh, raised in West Roxbury, uh, typical, you know, blue collar Irish neighborhood, like everything else in Boston. Um, you know, played hockey, uh, son of a fireman, you know, my father was on the job in Brookline, which for those of you who don't know, uh, the general Boston area, Brookline's a, its own town that was part of Boston and kind of defected, uh, they're surrounded by Boston on three sides. Um, and then, uh, his father, Boston fireman and his father, Boston fireman, my great grandfather, um, John Devine. Actually, he got on the job in January of 1900. Um, and somewhere along the line, the name changed. It was originally O Divine, then we lost the O. I don't know if it was Ellis Island or what. Um, and then during the Depression, the name changed from Divine to Dewan. There's talk that it may have sounded more French than Irish because, you know, everywhere you went, Irish need not apply in the windows and yeah. things like that. And um, so my great-grandfather got on in 1900. Um, then his, I'm trying to think of who was next. Um, my great uncle Bill, I think he got in like 1921, which is weird because my grandfather wasn't born until 22. So there was like a large gap um, in that whole, you know, uh, side, that part of the family back then. Right. Um, so my great uncle Bill got on in like 22, somewhere in there. Then there was another brother, Charlie, who, who was on. Um, and if you've ever seen uh, Bill Noonan's photo books, there's pictures of all of them in there in black and white. Uh, actually, um, the one book, uh, Wooden Sticks and Iron Men. There's a picture of my great uncle Charlie sitting on the back of Rescue Two. Uh, and it's funny because uh, Bill and Charlie were both in Rescue Two at different points in their career. Um, but then you know, so anyway, growing up in West Roxbury and my father being on the job, and you know, uh, my father's other his regular brother Bill, not his uncle, because there's a whole a couple of them. Um, you know, I was born in '79, so I remember as a very young child, and even before I can remember, I've seen pictures in strollers with my father pushing me, you know, at fires. Because, yeah. you know, growing up in New England, generally speaking, if you're in the fire department, you're a buff. Um, or up there, they'll call him a Spock. Um, so Spock. like, yes, yeah. yeah. So like, you know, in New York City, you've got the Bell Club, or was it the Gong Club of Jersey City? Yeah, so yeah. in Boston, it's the, the Boston Spocks Association. Um, so, you know, growing up in that whole era and aura, uh, it's that's just what it was. Um, I can remember being a kid in my parents' basement, 
and you know the old Bearcat 210 scanners, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not that old, but I may be showing yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, you know, if the weather was hitting right, you know, we'd be sitting there. And I think uh, the town of Wakefield had like the same frequency as the Bronx, or no? But I think Providence was the same as the Bronx. Wakefield was like citywide, all the 154 frequencies. So there'd be like a thunderstorm coming up the coast. And uh, I'd hear, you know, my father downstairs talking on the rotary phone to whomever from the firehouse, you know, ranting and raving about whatever in the job at that point. And all of a sudden you, you hear this <laughs> accent that didn't sound like us, you know, telephone alarm, Brooklyn box, you know, yeah, what, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, you know, my head would snap at like six years old. Cause I'm like, that doesn't sound normal. It's not the Boston beeps that everybody hears. And then all of a sudden the phone would start ringing. Hey, New York's coming in. Hey, New York's coming in. And then my father would be calling. So, Hey, New York's coming in. And literally it would be like a thing. You know, guys would just, you know show up and they'd sit in the basement and listen to New York because I mean there was no internet then. You know, you, you could yeah, listen to right. bravest.com now or, or whatever, or broadcastify. But you know, back then it was oh, you know, it's something that they wouldn't actually hear. But because everybody was such a huge buff, that's what they would do. <laughs> like I can remember, you know, my uncle who we've talked about, you know, who's killed in the trade center. You know, when he was still, I'll call him a kid. He was in his twenties. Him and I were thirteen years apart. But he was driving a bus for the MBTA, and I don't know if you remember uh, East Coast paging way, way back, like the big giant computer sized yeah, pages. Right. So this, again, a horrible ADD. Um, this guy, Paul Trahan, who's actually a PL Vulcan instructor, um, who worked with my father in Brookline Atlanta too, he ran East Coast Paging. This was back in the 80s. And they all had the teletypes. They would hook into the telephone, like again, like AOL time, or like the beep, 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 to try to get online. And uh, so they'd be sitting in my, my father's basement you know, when the New York scanner would be booming through, all of a sudden out came the teletype because Gerard had one because he was typing for East right, Coast right. Paging and everything would be going off. And then, you know, there was two lines at one point because my father got a separate one so we could actually use the internet because we were that advanced. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I don't know if you ever heard the name Artie O'Leary before. Um, he's uh, unfortunately deceased now. He died in 99. He was a Boston fireman. He's originally from Staten Island. And um, he was in the fire patrol in the 60s, went to Hartford, uh-huh. uh I don't know if this kind of rings a bell or not. He was a Hartford fireman for like two or three years. And then he went to Boston. He was in Ladder 23. He was in Rescue One. Um, heavy, thick New York accent, big white handlebar mustache. Um, and he used to sell T-shirts. And he was also a biker and a whole bunch of other things. But he'd sell turnout gear. But he was a legend. Well, anyway, he'd call up. And I'd answer the phone. And he'd be like, hey, Jerry. I'm like, no, nah, it's Jack. Oh, sorry, Jackie. Uh, put, uh, put your uncle on the phone. Okay. And But Artie was the guy who was... You ever hear the citywide buff radio networks? Yeah. So Boston had one too. And uh, as a kid, you know, when the skip would be coming in and you'd think that New York was you know, booming through the radio, it wasn't. It was just already giving out like a multiple. Somebody would <laughs> be like, you know, citywide announcing and, you know, the city of Lynn, a second bomb has been transmitted. Yeah. And, yeah. You, know, you know, the time now is, you know, 0023, dispatcher 123. And, you know, and I'm like, Dad, New York's coming in. No, no, it's just Audi. That's yeah. <laughs> so. So as a kid, I mean, you're growing up, you're growing up in this. I mean, yeah, you like, are completely, I am completely immersed. I had no, there was no way out of it. I mean, it was, you know, the fire department, like I played hockey my whole life. Like I started playing hockey in like 1983. And, um, you know, that was a huge passion, but I always knew that the fire department was it. Cause that's all I really knew. I mean, and like we talked you yeah. know, off camera before, mm-hmm. you know, five years old, I'm reading firehouse and fire engineering and WNYF. And I can right. tell you all the different things about all these different departments and what they were doing, you know, but meanwhile, I can't, you know, diagram a sentence in English class. No, I get you know? it, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. And I grew up the very much the same way. Um, you know, just completely immersed in, in this. And, uh, and that's where my love and passion has come from, you know, right. Um, and I'm very much on board with with your story. I get it. So 
Fast forward a little bit. So growing up in this type of household, I mean, you're living in Boston, correct? Right. Yep. So there's no volunteer fire service. There's no, no nothing, right? I mean, nope. it's either and you get on the job. Or you don't. Or you don't. You'd yeah. be a spark. Yeah. And <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, you know, as a kid, you know, we'd be sitting downstairs. And this was back, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Stackpole and Bemis. There were two yeah. arsonists in Boston that were lighting everything off, you know, early 80s. And um, I remember as a kid, you know, Again, there's rotary phone ringing. Hey, there's a fire in wherever. Okay, I'll meet you at the Dunkin' Donuts and a bunch of off-duty fine would meet in the where I'll go. Well, I was a kid in the car seat and off we went. But with that being said, uh, I forget where I was going with this. Um, oh, you mentioned the volunteer thing. Yeah. I don't know how I got into the other stuff. Anyway, ADD again. I guess. So um, reading like Firehouse Magazine, you know, now I'm like six, seven, eight. I actually know how to read at this point. You know, it's not just whatever. Um, and I remember reading an article about... Um, a Kentland fireman, and it said, you know, volunteer fire department, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Dad, what's volunteer? Like, I'd never even heard of it before. He goes, oh, volunteer, you know, usually small towns, you know, guys, you know, they come from home and they go get the fire truck and go to the fire. And I'm like, what? I, I don't get it. Like, I had couldn't wrap my head around it, had right. no concept. Right. I'm like, well, how do they get paid? He goes, you know. I'm like, uh, what do you mean they don't get paid? I'm like, well, how do they pay their bills? He's like, well, they have regular jobs. I'm like, like what? Whatever. He's like, they could be, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. It doesn't matter. They have a job. And then at night when the siren goes off or their pager goes off, they go pick up the fire truck. Totally flabbergasted. Had no idea what any of this meant and just blew my mind. I think it's really funny because for me, I found out that you could be a paid firefighter. (laughs) Right. And I went back to my dad. I'm like, dad, you don't have to do this for free anymore. You can get paid to do this. Right. Instead of going to the electric company, you'd show up to a fire station and they'll give you a paycheck. Yeah. Like, and he was just like, Slow down. <laughs> I know. Like I know, I know how it works. I'm like, no, you don't. Like I'm telling you, you don't have to work for Nysic anymore. And he's like, no, I. Yeah, it's, it's not going to work out that way. And total like, cultural right. difference. I mean, sure. You know, grow, the metro Boston area, and um, I try to describe it to some people who don't understand. Is like imagine like Pennsylvania and, and uh, Massachusetts, both commonwealths. So you've got you know, you know Pennsylvania's got like boroughs and townships and all this stuff. Massachusetts is either cities and towns. That's it. Right. Um, and the majority of them are career fire departments. Um, and it's a very union strong state, you know, democratic state's always been a union stronghold. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you'll get, uh, this one thing called Metro fire, which you've got the city of Boston, you know, its nickname is the hub. And then you've got all these surrounding jurisdictions. And up until recently, I'm sure most of them still have it, but most of them still have their game wall systems. Right. Um, so like when I worked as a fire alarm operator in the town of Brookline, which is surrounded by Boston, we boarded Boston and we boarded the city of Newton. So we would have a game well tapper for Boston, for Brookline, and for Newton. And on the Zetron machine, if Boston was striking the box, I'd have Boston Channel 1 locked on a scanner above the radio console so I knew what was going on. But I would know that, you know, if they were striking, and they're very buffy or sparky or however you want to say it, in the way they run their communication centers. So they have their box tone, which is a solid long beep. And then if it's one of the old time, I call them crusty, it sounds like, you know, Fran Drescher smoking eight packs a day. Um, <laughs> you know, you hear, you know, the long beep and them, you know, uh, all companies on the air stand by for an alarm of fire and district and there'll be a long pause like to make everybody wait, you know, 10. Well, I would know that as a fire alarm operator in Brookline that, you know, engine six would respond to boxes in district 10. So I'll be listening, you know, striking box 2858 Byron Road at Westgate Road. And I know that that's an engine six line box. So immediately I'm activating engine six's lights because my whole goal was to send my father to a fire in Boston and have them beat the Boston companies. Because that was just, you know, every, I mean, it wasn't frequent, but, you know, every once in a while that type of thing would happen. But um, So so growing up, right? So you're immersed in this culture. Yep. You're growing up in it. 
you have to get hired to become a fireman. Right. Right. And now you now so you're you're getting of age, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about you went off to college. Right. Which you and I had a little uh you know, uh, next door connection. Yeah, right. Which is wild. My brother actually went to the same college that he oh, went really? to. Yeah. And they had a volunteer engine company on the campus, and that's Student how I remember it as a younger kid. Like, yeah. So, they, so anyway, we hit on those stories, but bring it a little bit fast forward because I want to get into your career and I want to talk about you know the love for this job sure. and, and just kind of paint that picture. But so you're you're a Boston guy. You're mm-hmm. now a Baltimore City fireman. Right. You made your way through New York City as well. Right. So let's talk about uh, Massachusetts, where it started. So you got hired as a fire alarm dispatcher. Right. Um, and actually, even before that. So yeah. And this kind of goes back into the college story. So we kind of have to touch upon that. Yeah, it's fine. So graduated high school in '97. Still 17. I was a September baby, so it's kind of like that weird calendar stretch. And uh, started college in August. So a 17 year old kid. But when I went out there for the original. Um, like the tour to see where you wanted to go to school. We're walking down one of the driveways and the dorms are on the right and there's like an old auditorium on the left and there's this white garage sticking out of like a, a hill. I'm like, what's that? And the, the, I think it was a girl we were walking with. She's probably hot, but I don't remember. Um, so it, that's a whole other issue. We'll get to that later, maybe off camera. Um, so I'm like, what's that? She goes, oh, that's the, the fire department. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, you have a fire department on campus? She's like, oh yeah, it's a student-run volunteer fire department. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, okay. So I kind of kept that in the back of my head and I could see my father's wheels turning going, oh no, he's never going to class. (laughs) So we go to the, uh, (laughs) down to the, um, the field house and talking about sports and stuff. And I I was a hockey player. So like, yeah, we've got, you know, a division three hockey team. And I was playing for a good school in high school. So all right, you know, I'll come here, I'll play hockey. I'll join the volunteer fire department. I'll do my thing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, sure. So I go to this school and, uh, I'm there about a year and a half was playing hockey and I, Ended up getting into the fire department in the campus, but then in the town that it was in, the town of Dudley. And uh, I was like, why am I going to college? This is like, I just want to be a fireman. Yeah. Is also retarded, but this is a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, not politically correct in the least, by the way. Um, so uh, I quit school and went and, you know, get into the fire department and um, you know, small town. But it's kind of funny because it's small town, you know, Dudley, people are like, where the hell is Dudley? Um, Amazing guys, like some of the greatest firemen I've ever had the privilege to learn from as a young guy. Um, you know, I got there November 25th of 97, I got appointed, and there were guys there who got on in the 60s. And, you know, um, and those guys were taught by God knows what generation before that. So it was yeah. like that, you know, once removed, you know, like my father would always talk about, like he got on in 75, and he talks about, you know, the World War II guys that he learned from that were the senior men in the job when he got on. And even though I didn't have that exposure, it was like that once removed. Yeah. So some of the stuff that, you know, they taught me, you know, it may not be totally relevant now because things have changed so much, but, you know, it sticks with you. Um, you know, stupid stuff like, and I granted, you know, operational procedures are different everywhere you go. You know, nobody's right, nobody's wrong. It's just the way we do things. Right. Um, but, you know, if you're at, whenever you're going to the rear, always take the 40-footer. 40-footer. Because th- they still carried it then. Yeah, right. So, you know, I remember, you know, taking, you know, banger ladders and, Things like that because you'd have you know in the front it may be only be two stories, but in the rear it's four stories of rear porches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, thirty five is not going to make it. Um, you know, just little conversations like that. But anyway, so uh, small town of Dudley, and um, I ended up working in EMS. Uh, I was working for a couple of privates and, and so on, <clears throat> and I got hired as a fire alarm dispatcher in Brookline. This was just after nine eleven, which we have that whole other story too. Yeah, that's different. Um, so working there. And um, that's when the guy who I was working with there had told me about New York City hiring provisional fire alarm dispatchers. 
So I stayed in Brookline for about two years. Yeah, I left there in 03 because I got hired in New York City May 12th of 03. And um, I went there and I had taken the, the firefighters exam. Uh, 2043 was the list number. It was like 40,000 applicants or something. And I had a 98 on the written, had 100 in the physical agility. Um, my uncle who got killed in the trade center, I had his address. So I had five points residency. So I had a score of 104, which gave me a list number of 493. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, like, I mean, that's... I'm going to... Yeah. Like, this is it. So, right. you know, meeting all sorts of different people through the course of life. They're like, kid, you get... That's like first or second class. You, yeah. you're, you're getting in. You get the golden like, ticket. Okay, great. So fast forward, go through the interview, the psych, the background check, nailed all of it because I was a pretty boring person. I never got in trouble. Um, you know, my mouth hadn't got me in trouble yet, which is a whole other story. Um, so... I got hired in communications in the meantime, thinking, all right, well, let me go down there and I'll start learning the city. I'll start making connections, figuring out where my niche is. And um, I ended up living uh, in my uncle's apartment, um, which uh, the guy he went to probe school with, his name is Sean Cummins. Um, he's now a fire marshal. He's getting close to retirement. It's been, they got uh, first class in 96. So, you know, they've got their 20 years now. But anyway, so was living there and uh, living in Rockaway. Yeah. It was awesome. And you know, Boston kid in New York City is kind of awkward anyway. Um, as soon as I opened my mouth, I couldn't hide it. Like I went down, <laughs> there's this place down on Beach 101st Street called the 101 Deli. I think it's still there. It's like the best sandwiches I've ever had in my life. So I walk in, and in Boston, everything's a sub. Yeah, So I walk right. in, like, yeah, you could get a large Italian sub. And it was like, you know, the glass fell off the wall, the record scratched. Like, yeah, did you guy? hear what this guy yeah, just like, said? Listen, this guy thinks he's, he thinks he's funny. You want a what? I'm like, yeah. uh, sub? Like, you mean a hero? I'm like, okay. Yep. Like, seated or no? I'm like, uh. Yep. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I don't know. What, what's a seated right. hero? I never even right, heard of it. Right, right, right. So I'm like, yeah. just make it however you make it. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, off the, yeah, off the topic. That's but, funny. Uh, so um, I ended up getting jammed up on the medical. Um, my natural physical makeup, I have a high heart rate. So yeah. at that point, I was 23, 24. Um, my heart rate should not have exceeded 176 beats per minute on the medical exam, which the medical there, they actually put you on the step mill and wear the weight fast and they monitor you and right. everything else. So my heart rate was at 196. And at that point, I was like, you know, 30, 40 pounds lighter. I was still, you know, an athlete and everything else. But my genetic makeup, nope, oh, sorry, kid, you'll have to be a fireman. What? Wow. Okay. So I stayed there and I worked in communications for uh, about six years. It was awesome. You know, I made some amazing friends. Got in to, Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, mostly in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, I worked in the field comm unit for a while uh, on on a skin, you know, uh, like 90 day details and back and forth and um, made some great friends. And then I got promoted to a supervising dispatcher and I floated amongst, all, you know, all five boroughs, but mainly I was in uh, Manhattan and the Bronx as a, a tour supervisor. And uh, actually, my very first day as a supervising dispatcher was in Manhattan on Thanksgiving. And so here I, I was staying at this girl I was with at the time. She was living in Long Island. And uh, I come in the Long Island Expressway, and I go over to, to go over the 59th Street Bridge. And I'm looking at the skyline of Manhattan, and I'm like 25 years old. And I'm like uh, saying to myself, oh, I'm responsible for all of this. Yeah. What did I get myself into? And um, so in sure shit, that was the year that uh, one of the balloons, like one of the cables had taken down a lamppost. It fell yep. and killed yeah. a guy. Right. There was a fire uptown. We had a high-rise downtown, which requires a completely different response. You have to transmit different boxes. Um, 9031 and 9032 get transmitted, which take uh, companies from Brooklyn, uh, two engines, I'm sorry, an engine, a truck, and a chief over the Manhattan Bridge, and uh, an engine, truck, and a chief through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. And basically whoever gets there first goes to the fire. Whoever gets there second gets relocated. 
It's for any uh, 1076 or 77 below Chambers Street, which is all sorts of technical oh, stuff. Oh, this that, is wild, yeah. I mean, know, I, like, the, there's really no reason for this to even be in my brain anymore because I'm never going to use it again unless I'm talking to you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so... We understand that one. Right. <laughs> it stays in there forever. Right, you know. Um, so I don't even know where I was going with this. But, no, uh, but I mean, what yeah. an interesting time, I, right? I want to like kind of go back to Brookline though about being a dispatcher sure. in Massachusetts because one of the things that we kind of find interesting with the podcast and the platform is the, the terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I know there's like, and we we're talking to Chief Thode in Bridgeport and he was talking about like the three woods and hooking up big and whatnot. Yeah. Like what, what terminology was there in. So a lot of unique stuff. Um, something that I've never heard anywhere else except for just the metro Boston area is can you check the still? Okay, and what's that? What's that? Mean? So if I said you check the still, like, are we making moonshine? Like, what are we doing? Right. No. So um, obviously, fire service all started its notifications using bells, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was the church bells or bells in the firehouse, we all use yeah. bells. So a still alarm, the bells are silent, which means that you know it's like a, a single unit response. So instead of somebody saying you know, like, if you're in New York City, hey, do you have a ten seven? Or hey, can you check the call back? Or Boston, Brookline, Newton, those, can you check the still? Meaning referring to the still bells because the bells were silent because it was a silent response of one unit. Can you check the still? And all they're doing is asking for a callback. That's wow. one of those random, yeah. um, yeah. or, That's uh, cool. you know, like it's kind of funny. So working in Brookline, originally they had, um, fire alarm operators, um, that were part of the fire union, uh, local nine five Oh. And then the police department had police call takers who were civilian, but then actually route officers, you know, regular cops would take their rotation through working police radio. Excuse me. And um, the town decided to combine the communications effort. So there was, I think there was like six or seven police call takers. There was like five fire alarm operators. And then there were seven new hires, which I was one of. Um, and uh, we were all in different classifications because it was, you know, a merger. But then the fi- old fire alarm operators couldn't be in the fire union anymore because they weren't employees of the fire department. And the police call takers couldn't be in, I don't know if they were in NAGE or whatever. I don't know, like they were in something else. So we ended up becoming Teamsters. Um, so we had yeah. three different rates. And like the town was kind of afraid because, you know, if you don't, if you mess with the Teamsters, you can have like a big pink inflatable rat out front. And the police department doesn't want that in front of the police station. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so going back, so working on the fire radio, working in the police station, you know, there's always that rivalry, you know, cops and firemen, whatever. But the cops would always break balls about, you know, the vernacular that the fire department would use. Like, oh, we're striking the box. So, like, right, the, right. The, the the cop, like, you know, he'd be you know, using a little hand to strike this little box. Hey, look at we're the fire department. I'm like, all right, whatever. You're in it. Well, I'm not going to say it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, like, the term striking the box, you know, goes back to, um, again, before radios. Yeah. And, and you guys, you have an alarm box right there. You probably know the right. whole story. Um, but they had no concept of that and like trying to explain that to people and then in other places where they never had a game wall system or they never tapped out boxes over a bell system yeah. and they don't yeah. know how to count a prefix or any of those things. They don't know that, you know, if you've got, you know, I forget because it's been so long, but like in Boston, um, you've got like 12, 13, 14, 15, like prefixes. It's a school or a public building or, you know, a transit facility, right. you know, um, so striking 12 dash one, two, three, four for, you know, whatever. And you'll get one beep, two beeps, then a pause. And then, you know, the rest of the box being transmitted. Right. And they would still do that. Actually, even still now, they, they still transmit over the radio, even though they remove the bells. Um, they have a Purvis system now that's uh, all automated, kind of like New York City's, but a little bit different. There's places in New Jersey, they don't do it anymore, but there's places in New Jersey that the trumpets on the roof of the volunteer firehouse would ring out the box. Yeah. Yeah. We um, still do that. So, no, still... I'm, but I'm, tr- like, the, yeah. 
the box number. The town-wide alerting system? It'll tone out. I know where the box is when it's coming in. You still have that in your town? Yeah. They allow the, that? Yeah. Uh, one, one thing I always got to when, uh, from some of the, the senior guys in Poughkeepsie was after union meetings and kicking back a couple beers. Right. They'd go out with a game low key and, like, open up the box and tap in another box on another circuit. <laughs> yeah. And, like, like, the dispatcher, the civilian dispatcher would be like, I don't understand why this box is coming in. It's on right. the wrong circuit. And then they dispatch it and be like, it only rang in once. And the captain would be like, right. yeah. Like, just, you know. Got the shunt key out. <laughs> oh. That's wild. So Brookline, so you go down terminology, I mean, there's a lot more, right? Triple decker. I mean, there's, yeah. there's tons, well, so, right? You know, like three decker, triple yeah. decker, you know, there's, like I so said, the check the still yeah. or, um, I don't know where to go with There's so right. much of it. Like, what were some of the good fires that you like, you know, do you have any of those incidents where you took the phone call and you're just like, oh man, these guys are going to get so much work. Uh, in New York city, I could, I have a whole ton of them and some of them I have recordings of. Um, in yeah. Brookline, Brookline's, it's strange because Brookline's a very affluent community. Yeah. Um, you'd never know you weren't in Boston, you know, three, four, five story brownstones and right. huge, you know, colonials and, you know, high rise apartments and everything else. Um, but it's, the world's not burning down, which is good for them. I mean, th- right, you, know, you, you don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's tremendous firemen there and they do get work. It's not like it's made of asbestos. Like they, I, they do go to fires. Um, but it's just, it's, it's different. I mean, it's, it's. The rest of America, it's, you know, alarm bells and medicals and car right. accidents and, right. you know, so the standard stuff. people who fell. Right, exactly. So, uh, in Brookline, I don't, there's not... Or I mean, anywhere, even yeah. in the city. Yeah. So, well, I remember my very first, I was working in, um, I think it was my first night tour. Uh, we're working in Brooklyn, and um, most people have heard of Warren Fuchs. Yeah, um, of course. So, I was, I was in his group. He wasn't my group because he's the man. I'm just <laughs> Um So, it was him, myself... Um, another uh, female dispatcher, and I have to see how I can tactfully put this because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Um, we were the, the other people who were on the tour were unavailable. They may have been in the bathroom or whatever. Right. Um, so anyway, so I'm sitting at the voice alarm, uh, which is the like two-way intercom system to the firehouses, and uh, fire phone rings. So I pick it up, and as a probie, my number was eight one four. So I pick you know fire department dispatcher eight one four. What's the address of the fire? So Fuchs picks up the other handset and plugs in because it's like the old like telephone circuit handsets that we're plugging in. So he's listening, you know, with the handset up so you don't hear him breathing. And uh, you hear this guy, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm at Kings Highway in East 16th Street in the Kings Highway Deli. Oh, shit, the window just popped. And you hear Fuchs, hey, kid, that's a quality call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I, I process the information and I send it over to the DD, which is the decision dispatcher. And uh, so Fuchs... He says, hey, kid, I'm going to load this up. I'm like, okay. And in their turn, it loaded up means they're going to send 4-2 rescue yeah, squad. Right, because right? normally a regular structural assignment is just 2-2 and a chief, um, you know, barring 1014 engines and all that other stuff. So uh, 276 to Brooklyn Urgent, 1075, you know, whatever. And uh, that one always sticks with me because, you know, here I'm taking this phone call. Oh, shit, the window just popped. Yeah, right, right. I'm right. like, okay, I'm not going to put that in the description line, but, you know, okay, you know, fire out the window of the King's Highway Deli. <laughs> You know, That's sent cool. it out and yeah. I mean, you got the senior guy behind you, right? Fuchs is behind yep. you going, yeah, we're going to load that up. Yep. It sounds like it's work. Yeah. Have you, have you ever like stacked like the, you know, just knowing from the phone call, like, like all right, I'm going to start like lining up with the second alarm. going to be on this because you knew. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a case by case. Um, and, you know, working in, in New York, I mean, there's a certain, I don't want to call it a playbook, but there's a certain mentality on how certain things go, but like we would do the same things all the time. 
So like if there was a fire in Williamsburg up that way and like 108 truck was on it, generally would always take 176 truck and they'd go right up Broadway and they'd transfer, you know, relocate to 108. Um, you know, or you take like 170, you know, in Canarsie and they may go down towards like Sheepshead Bay and, and relocate, you know. Um, so you always had the same companies do it always then. But if it was a busy day and you had, you know, a couple of all hands going, well, then it was out the window. You just right. do, or you get companies from out of borough. But I think what's interesting, just from my limited knowledge of New York City and the way that the the dispatchers are so, and I don't know if this still remains true today, but I'm sure it does because that culture doesn't really disappear. But I mean, I know, like you hear the stories of these guys back in the day. I mean, they oh, would, awesome. they knew every left and right that these companies would yeah, make. Yeah. They knew by the voice of each officer mm-hmm. of who and how they respond and how the dispatcher is such like calling audibles for the companies, but knows yeah. because he already knows what's happening before the companies know what they're like. Yeah. It's incredible to listen to some of that, like four years footage. Yeah. If that's you such will. a like, dying art too, because yeah. I mean, now you get to figure like, so like I work in Baltimore city, right. And I live in Pennsylvania. Right. So like I'm nowhere near there, but all these guys, and that brings up one particular story. I'll never forget as long as I live this guy, George Munch. He's also now retired. Him and Warren were called the Brooklyn Cowboys. Right. So <laughs> I'm a, I'm a probie. I'm sitting, we, uh, we called it uh, three. It was BCT three, the call taking terminal next to the radio and busy night, whatever. And a box goes out. It was on like Arlington place or something. I think it's off of Notion Avenue. And, uh, I couldn't picture where it was. And George Munch, who had been there for forever, and he was in the patrol before he was a dispatcher, and he was a fire safety director at the World Trade Center, which is a whole different story altogether. Hmm. Um, I said, you know, George, where's Arlington Place? And he goes, ah, it's probably right here. And there's a, there's a big, so we're sitting at the mic, right? Literally, George is sitting right here, and there's a huge map of Brooklyn behind us. He said, that's probably about right here. <laughs> yep, that's exactly where it was. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, um, but he's, he'd be the guy that he would work every 4th of July, Specifically, and then I got to see it in person during the blackout, uh, August fourteenth of two thousand three, the East Coast blackout. I was a probie working. So my wife and I were just talking about that because I couldn't remember when that blackout was. It yeah. was two thousand three. Yep, and, and yep. I know it was August fourteenth because that okay. was my dispatcher number. I was eight one four. Ah, okay. And I was in Pennsylvania, and that's when like Nextel was huge. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I remember it. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I'm coming it up the PA Turnpike to the Jersey Turnpike to go back to New York because I was supposed to work the following day. So my father hits me on the Nextel, and he's like. Jackie, where are you? I'm like, I'm in Jersey. Why? The whole world's got no power. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, he's like, you know, the whole East Coast got no power. You know, New York's going crazy. And I'm like, and of course, he's at home in Boston listening on the bravest.com. Yeah, right. Because right. that was the thing. Yep. And um, I'm like, okay, well, I was like, I'm in like, I'm near like exit seven. So like, you know, I don't really see anything going on. And then as I get further up, I'm near like, Let's say it was like uh, what the refineries. It's Elizabeth, it's north. Port yeah, it's Denver. north of like exit ten. Yeah, and I'm looking off to the left, and it looked like Saudi Arabia. Like all of the the oil refineries, their uh, relief valves let go, and they're all burning. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I actually, I had a, a brand new Toyota Tacoma at the time, and I used to keep a disposable camera in the armrest in case you know total buff. Yeah, and um, <laughs> so because you know, this is before you know like cell phone cameras yeah, and all this yeah. stuff that wasn't really a thing yet. And uh, I stopped and took a picture, and then uh, I had the scanner. I started finally picking it up, and this guy, Mike Boucher, was on Brooklyn Radio. He's retired now. Actually, if you've ever seen a book called Badges of the Bravest, uh, no, I'm sorry, not bad. That's um, Gary Urbanowitz. Um, he, uh, Mike Boucher did the line of duty death book for New York City, okay. like every line of duty death ever in the right. history of the fire department. And I remember he used to work on that in the Brooklyn CO. Anyway, uh, another story for another time. But so they're giving out like stuck elevator, stuck elevator, stuck elevator all over the borough. So I'm like, you know what? I should probably go into work tonight. So I shot over to Rockaway, 
took a shower with like the last bit of hot water that was in the tank, you know, packed a bag, went to Brooklyn. So by the time I finally get to the Brooklyn CO, it's nighttime. And I come over the Marine Parkway Bridge onto Flappish Avenue, and uh, it's night. And obviously, there's no power, so there's no lights. So, you know, everybody who's out has, like, their high beams on, and all I see is legs, like, running in front of me. Like, I'm at Flappish Avenue and Avenue U, where the King's Plaza Mall is, like, yeah. trying to go up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit. Sorry. And, uh, you know, the borough's going crazy. There's fires all over the place. And I get in there, and there's not a phone to be in. Like, everybody came to work. Like, every position was full. George Munch is on the radio. He's giving companies, you know, like, 173 was being relocated from um, Howard Beach, Queens, into Brooklyn. And he's trying to give him directions to a fire. I forget where it was. Somewhere off of like Rutland Road or something. And he's make a left here, make it right there. You'll see the school Incredible. go up two blocks. And then like, I remember a lot of 10 was transferred from lower Manhattan to somewhere. And he was telling, you know, lefts and rights going down like Church Avenue to, to whatever this box was. And, you know, I mean, I know where they are now. At that point, there's a probe. I'm like, I don't even know how to tie my shoes. I can't even get into this place. Right, right, and right. he's given like, you know, stone by stone directions, you know, you know, step on this curb and the door will open or whatever. Yeah. Um, That's pretty So wild. I go into the office and not a phone to be answered, not a radio to talk on. So I walk into the back and that guy, Mike Boucher, who was talking on the radio during the day, he had stayed also. Well, he was also like a cook. So we're on generator power. Well, all the restaurants and supermarkets, everything's closed because there's no power. So he's in the cabinets. He's cooking. There's like, you know, a chicken cutlet here, a hot dog there, a can of soup here so everybody could eat. So there was nothing for me to do. So I washed dishes for like four and a half hours. <laughs> there was nothing to do. Um, and then uh, I ended up, I went to sleep for a little while. And then we ended up having like relief periods because there was no air conditioning in the office. And then 911 had gone down and the cat had gone down and everything was going down. So the, the computer room where like um, all the mainframes were, that had air conditioning. So people would do like an hour or so working on the platform and then go into the computer room and cool off for like 15, 20 yeah, minutes. Right. And then everybody would rotate through. Um, Dispatcher rehab. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, <laughs> coffee and air conditioning. But I, I think, too, a lot of that goes unnoticed, right? I mean, I know I take for granted the guy on the other end. Right. Right? And and that has to be, you know, maybe, you know, firefighting is physically demanding and mentally demanding, but I have right. to think being a dispatcher in a in a high-paced atmosphere. Yeah, especially I mean, when things go wrong on the other end yeah. of the radio. Like, you it, can't yeah. see it, so it's, you've got to hear it, and that's got to be... It's easy to lose what you're doing. Yeah. Um. I don't know when it was. I know I was working in Brooklyn. It was a busy night. What was happening, I have no idea. Um, but the computer went down, and we had like three or four all hands going. And I was still new. I was probably there like six or eight months. And companies are calling, and I'm answering them, and I'm you know keeping my cool, you know, by speaking clearly and whatever on the radio. But I am like freaking out because one, I have no idea where these companies are. And even up until when I left there in '08. Um, there was no any alley like you couldn't tell where people were calling from because of such antiquated software. Right. Um, you know, there was no GPS. There was none of that. It's just, where are you? We're here. Okay, go there. Like, right. That's yeah. as simple as it could get, mm-hmm. which hindsight being 2020, I wish they would actually go back to that. Um, I think the GPS driven CAD systems are not good, but that's a different conversation. But um, <laughs> yeah, the stress level uh, working in the office, like when things are going down, yeah. um, yeah. Well, it kind of leads into another question too. I mean, I know like on the on the paperwork you worked the blackout, but you also worked the uh, um or you were you were in mobile command when you with the Black Sunday fires? Yeah. Um so that was January 23rd. Um the 22nd I did my regular 24 in field calm and there was a snowstorm coming in. And um we did our 24s backwards, so from night to night. And I was working with this guy Paul Hederson. He's actually still there great guy one of the uh, he's awesome um 
So we get out. We had a late run, uh, put up a plane off the runway at JFK. I'll never forget, we were going up the conduit in, uh, in the snowstorm, and there's rescue two behind us, like, kind of like going back and forth, like they wanted to pass us, but I think Paul wouldn't let them or <laughs> something. I don't know. Because, you know, the communications van, we're so crucial to the operation that we're not going to let the rescue go by. <laughs> but whatever. Um, so... Um, can't be last of the right. five. Right. It doesn't matter what your so, job is. Um, get back from that run, get relieved. I, I go home. I'm living on uh, 113th Street in uh, Rockaway, Queens, on a, on a beach block. So the next morning, again, buff. I have a scanner. I'm outside shoveling snow. It was like a huge snowstorm. And we had put Fieldcom 2 in service, which there's only one Fieldcom citywide in New York City. Um, after 9-11, there was a report said that there should be two. Um, the city said, well, we're not going to spend the money and you know budget stuff, blah, blah, blah. Well, they will put fuel come to in service for storms and other you know things like that. So um, I hear on the Manhattan frequency, you know, fuel come to in Manhattan, leaving your frequency, switching to the Bronx. I'm like, oh, they must have a fire. So I, I put the Bronx on, and it didn't sound good. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I hear all sorts of screaming and yelling. I'm like, okay. So I ran into the house and told my girlfriend, I'm like, listen, something's not right. I'm going to work. So I jumped in my truck. I went over to Brooklyn to the firehouse. My partner, Paul Hederson, he must have been doing the exact same thing because he showed up too. And um, at that point, the fire department had gotten two new mobile command centers that were Freightliner chassis. They almost looked like Winnebago's. Yeah. Um, one was from the Leary Firefighters Foundation. They had donated one. And then Councilwoman Provenzano from the Bronx, <clears throat> excuse me, had done um, and donated the other one. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so uh, they were identical units. And um, the uh, Provenzano one was in quarters. It wasn't even in service yet. And... Uh, Excuse me. So we uh, we ended up taking it, <clears throat> went up to the Bronx, and um, snow was crazy. It took us a while to get up there. So we parked on the Grand Concourse and, um, you know, start setting everything up, the radios and, and everything else, and uh, the command staff comes in, and then Chief Hay, who was the chief of safety at the time, he comes in. And at that point, um, you know, the operation had already concluded. All the, the bad stuff had already happened. So right. we, we were there late in the game. We weren't right. part of any integral operations or anything. Um so Chief Hayes and like the conference room in the very back of the rig and they're counting turns on SCBAs and, you know, documenting, you know, what was going on, you know, what the personnel had in their pockets and, um, you know, all this guy's personal stuff that, you know, I'm not going to put it all out there because it's, you know, that's for the family. But um, so we're sitting there and, you know, there's a whole side story to this. There's a lieutenant walking around outside and uh, I didn't even mention this when I talked about this before. Um, tall, skinny guy and he's wearing a 53 truck lieutenant's front, which is a, a slow company out um, City Island. And uh, so he knocks on the door, walks up, comes in, it's cold out, it's snowing out. And he looks at me and he looks at my sweatshirt and he's like, Dewan? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, uh, any relation to Jerry? I'm like, yeah, he was my uncle. Oh, he tells me his name. I forget, I wish I could remember. Turns out this guy was a lieutenant in 293 engine in Woodhaven years prior when my uncle was doing his rotation through there and we talked about that and you know 9-11 and those all sorts right. of stuff and then he went on his way and I never heard from him again but that guy was originally from San Francisco um, and they were talking huh. about how you know he couldn't get hired in San Francisco and my uncle couldn't get hired in Boston and, and all the stuff and we talked about that and That's then wild. you know things were going on and then you know get back into the moral of the, that original story so we're sitting there and as a Brooklyn unit we always keep the Brooklyn radio on in the unit aside from monitoring all the other millions of frequencies that they have and my friend Scott Hanratty was working Brooklyn Radio, and I hear, and I'm sure you've probably listened to New York City before. <clears throat> if there's, like, you know what's work, 
the dispatcher might give a couple beep beep yeah. before you know you know telephone alarm box whatever. So then you know we're sitting there and I hear beep beep beep. Telephone alarm, Brooklyn Box 1770, Lavonia Avenue and Jerome Avenue reporting a uh, fire in a private dwelling. Like, oh, that'll probably be work because Scott's a very, very outstanding <clears throat> dispatcher and, you know, he's on the ball. So then I think 290 get in first and then, you know, 1075 and then the 4-4 gave in all hands and then urgent, you know, we'll get somebody trapped and make it a second alarm and all this other stuff. And we're like, what's going on? And then eventually, you know, phone calls start getting made, and this is what's up, and this is going on here. And then Chief Hay, you know, Chief of Safety, is like, well, okay, you know, can you get me to that fire? So we're like, okay, if she's asking for something, we're going to give it to him. So we packed up operations in the Bronx, and we left in the middle of a snowstorm and drove to the fatal fire in Brooklyn. Wow. And then started operations there. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was something I never anticipated in a million years ever experiencing. Um, and uh, I don't think anybody does. No, and yeah. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Any given Sunday. You know, is, I go ahead, Ralph. Is there, is there, like, I, I don't think I could prepare myself for that, you know, for, for dealing. Is there anything like having walked through that or, or been part of it? Is there any, because like, event, you know, eventually maybe one of our listeners or somebody out there is going to have to go through that. Is there anything you, you can like pull away to be like, hey, just, you know, this, this is what I learned from it? Or, um, you know, I wish you could, I could say it was the first time I had to deal with it, but it wasn't. Right. Um, years prior when I was still in Massachusetts, and I'm kind of like a black cloud in some aspects. Um, I was working EMS day in the city of Worcester, the day of the Worcester Cold Storage Fire. I ended up being there um, when those six guys met their demise mm-hmm. um, at the Cold Storage uh, Factory. Um, so I was an eyewitness to that. Then my own family line of duty with 9-11. And then Black Sunday. So unfortunately for me, this wasn't my first deal with this. I'm like, okay. So kind of you just you got to do your job. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody wants to deal with that. Right. Obviously, you know, it's still in my head. Um, but uh, when it's going down, do whatever you have to do to keep you cool and worry about it later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's so much bigger than any of us. You know, I'm nobody. I'm just a guy here telling a story about some things that I happen to see in my life. It's really, you know, not that important. But um, when uh, when it's going down, just do what you got to do. Don't give up. Keep pushing through, and uh, you know when relief is in, and you go home, then you deal with whatever it is you're gonna deal with. Yeah, and that's become the that's become a big, big to do as well now. You know, uh, yeah. protecting ourselves outside mm-hmm. of the job too, and uh, yeah. that's it. That's you know that is uh, we have a lot of friends in that mental health game, and and so on that you know we've become friends with along the line with National Fire Radio, and that's something that you know we're gonna hit on another time and sure. in place because that that deserves a lot of attention. But I have to think, you know. Um, Nobody's ever prepared for anything like that. Oh, God, and, no. And you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, professionalism always carries us through. And right. realizing that, you know, we would want somebody there for us, just like we're there for them. Right. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just, it's that, it's just the way it is. I mean, yep. I, yeah. it doesn't get much, uh, much more clear than that. But, all right, so... New York City, man. Let's so all right. We we hit on we hit on a lot right. of city, but now, I mean now you're I mean you're a fireman down in Baltimore City. Yeah. Right. So you have medical issues in the city. You end up doing dispatching for a bunch of years out of the communications office, right? In which? In New York City, right? Yeah. Yep. So and yep. then uh, and then it was time you said screw this, man. I don't want to be behind yeah. the mic. I want to so, get on the front line. Yeah. I mean, you know, being in the field com was amazing, and you know, getting to you know, yeah. work with awesome guys. But you know, like the ongoing joke I'd have with my, one of my buddies is that you know. Every time I went to a fire in the field com, it was that much closer to not crawling down a hallway. Right. And you're like, well, this, yeah. this is not, 
it's like you know the ultimate tease, if you will. You know, to no, you're kind right. of mm-hmm. politely. No, I get it. But um, so you know, I've met guys in different places, and I actually and this is terrible. I quit the New York City Fire Department twice. <laughs> so there's that. Um, the first time, you know, both in communications. Um, first time I gotten hired uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland, and went through uh, fire academy there, and ended up with a septic staph infection in my leg that went all the way to my heart. So I ended up not going through and staying there, and I went back to New York City. Wow. And then um, the second time I quit New York City, <laughs> terrible. Um, I went back to Massachusetts, uh, where I was uh, illegally living, which doesn't matter now. I don't work there anymore. Um, you know, living outside because I was using someone's address. Um, I went through paramedic school for free, so that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know, that's an expensive program. So I was like, well, if I'm going to advance my career, I have to go get my paramedic and uh, – so I resigned from New York and I went back to Mass and got my paramedic and you know made a bunch of other more friends and made other connections and um, had met guys from Baltimore between you know funerals and St. Patty's days and all the typical functions and uh, hey Baltimore's giving a test why don't you come on down all right why not so now I'm in Baltimore yeah and um, what a ride uh, some of the you know, after having the privilege to work in so many different places and meeting so many different <coughs> people some of the best firemen I've ever had the privilege to be exposed to, work next to, learn from, like, on all different levels. You know, guys who, there's a book out there called The Accidental Fireman. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard yep, of it. Have, um, you know, guy, I think he was like a banker or something mm-hmm. and just happened to get into the fire department. Well, I kind of relate that to some of the guys I work with in Baltimore that, you know, they grew up in the city. They knew nothing about the fire department. Someone said, hey, go take this test. Okay. And they got on the fire department. And now they're like the salt of the earth, like, <laughs> like great firemen. Right. Um, you know, people who... And I, for me, it's different because I have this huge privilege that I grew up in a fire department family. So I have all this information bouncing around inside my head about what went on in 1900, you know, 79 years before I was even a thought. And, um, you know, stuff, again, it's not really useful, but it's nice to know um, and understanding where we came from as to why well, we're going to the, the direction. Picture, right? yeah. I mean, it lays the groundwork. Right. So, yeah. so, and, you know, so like for me, I'm obviously a very unique individual, but I'm <laughs> putting it lightly, never. Um, but like I'll talk with guys who, you know, they're first generation and they don't know anything about, well, they didn't even know if Baltimore had fire boxes. They don't even know what a box is yeah. other than the terminology that when they say box alarm, they know they're going to go to a fire. You know, they know that the box area is within the map book of, you know, the first engine company's district. It's, you know, like I'm a truck 12 squad 40 is the, is the engine essentially that's in quarters with us. So we're in a 40 box. So, yep. Okay. We're going to a 40 box. Okay. Or we're going to a 29 box. That's the neighboring company. They don't know that box came from, you know, a red firebox in the corner 150 years ago. And yeah, they're tapping right. out bell signals. Right. They're like, what's a bell signal? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's really, it's not even important that they know it because it has no effect Fair. on, yeah. you know, them doing their job correctly. Um, but it's, you know, it's just that, you know, back information. The, I think there's you know, a how into the job are you? Culture. Yeah. You, you, want, you know, want them to be in, into the job. And yeah, like, that's and I, part of it. I yeah, say, but, well, it's, but, you know, there's guys, listen, there's a lot of different levels of guys. So there's guys that are absolutely into the job when they're at the job, but then when they go home, they turn it off. Yeah. And, and that's okay too. And, and they're 100 miles an hour. Like, not everybody wants to do national fire radio. What? Right, not everybody wants to talk what? about firefighting right. twenty four hours a on day. day like, I know a lot you of people. You mean get up early on a Sunday? Drive <laughs> <laughs> four hours. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's there's different there's different cuts, and yeah. and so you know, like I don't take it away from anybody. Like, it's just a burning passion in my heart, and mm-hmm. that's why I do this, and that's why I right. like doing this. Yeah. But there's other guys that are fantastic firemen that go home at the end of the day, and they're yeah. like, yeah, and I, that's totally fine. Absolutely. And you know what? It probably they're probably living a better life. For they, us. they probably are. <laughs> they probably are. You know, 
But uh, sometimes we get too caught up in it, I think. But yeah. uh, anyway, so, all right. So, so Baltimore, you there's a huge company right in the center of town. And then you have other companies outside. A rescue one is, right? Is that yeah. Oh, it's Stedman Station. It's Stedman Station. So, and how did that combine into one? Because that wasn't, there was they not, weren't all there. No, that opened, I think, in 72. Okay. I may have my dates wrong. I'm sure someone can correct me. Um, but, uh, this oh, they two, will. Uh, oh, yeah, there's fact, tons of correction. Uh, 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 I'm the sure the, uh, the Facebook fire department will be all over it. Um, <laughs> we actually have a division of National Fire Radio out there that's uh, in, into grammar and spelling as well. Okay, excellent. They're, so they're I, have a field day with me. They're going to strike the box here in a minute. Right. You know when a president does a State of the Union address and then at the end all the news channels do fact-finding? Yeah, right, right, right. We get that on every single piece of content we do because we're always wrong and the world is always right. And so I right. love being fact-checked. All the time. Well, ironically, we're all married, so we're used to it. Fact. Not me, Rob. I mean, my wife's cool. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. So, so let's talk about let's talk about Baltimore. I mean, because I, I don't know yeah. any being a Northeast guy. Like I, right. you know, that's Mid Atlantic, right? And like, I didn't so either. I yeah. Um, you know, I knew that. The Baltimore Orioles were a thing, and um, you know I never really even heard of the Ravens until I started going down there. And it's not a dig; it's just that when right. you're in New England, like you know, if you're not playing hockey or you know whatever other sport or you know being involved in the fire department in that particular circle, like the earth ends at like the Jersey Turnpike, unless you're going to Florida. Well, <laughs> you know for I mean? us in the Northeast, I mean that's yeah. very very yeah. true in a right. way. You know, um, so it's like you know, yeah, I've heard of LA, but I've never been there. Right. right. Um, so. You know, after meeting guys and saying, hey, come to Baltimore, I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Right. And I knew nothing about it. So, you know, I went on the interweb and started looking stuff up. I'm like, oh, okay, well, they, they catch a lot of work down there. No concept, none. Um, so I went down, took the test, and um, I was like 185 on the list. So I got hired as like the second or third class because they were doing like classes of 50-ish. And um, got hired uh, March 30th of 11, went through the fire academy. Uh, summer was really hot. And I'm fat and from the north, so I don't like heat. Um, <laughs> because, let's face it, I talk about the sun, I get burnt. Yeah, I get it, um, I get it. So that was uh, painful. But um, graduated the fire academy, went to uh, Truck 23 in Pigtown. Um, shout out to them. That's an amazing house. Uh, the 3rd Battalion in general, all the companies in Baltimore are awesome. Yeah. I mean, and we had this conversation briefly, too, about, you know, the best firehouse in the world is every firehouse. Right. doesn't matter which department you're working for. It's whatever you make out of it. That's right. Um, but... Um, so I went to Truck 23, and uh, I had a captain named Bryant Crone, who was a legend in that area. You know, during his career, he's now retired. Um, and my first lieutenant, this guy Jeff Walsh, who became a very, very good friend, uh, both professionally and personally. Um, they taught me how Baltimore does things. And when I first went there, I was like, you know what? It's difficult for me because I've been in other places, and the things that I have bouncing around in my brain I have to try to erase that because yeah. I'm not in Boston. I'm not in, Bo I'm not in New York city. I'm not in central mass. I'm not, I am in Baltimore. I need to do things the Baltimore way because if I don't do my job the way they want me to do it, something could go drastically wrong. Right. No, I think because somebody asked before about being on like tricks and then put up a question. They're going to be on probation. City. This one of our viewers is going to be on like probation or starting. And that's an excellent point. Oh, okay. Like, sure. If you have that knowledge beforehand, like, Keep it tucked away, but like learn how to do it from that department's point yeah, of view. Yeah, and, and, and you know, my lieutenant, uh, uh, Jeff Walsh, you know, after we got to know each other a little more, you know, he'd break my balls. He goes, I didn't even have to train you with this stuff. Why'd you even, why'd you waste my time? I'm like, you know, lieutenant, I never worked in Baltimore before. I don't know any of this stuff. Like, yeah, do I know how to put a ladder up? Sure. Everybody learns how to do that, but there's ways that 
Baltimore does things. Yeah. And you need to do it their way. Sure. Um, you know, they've been doing it correctly for 150-something years now. Right. Uh, there's nothing on fire unless somebody's actually setting it. So all the fires go out in Baltimore. Even the great one went out. Yep. So, you know, they're not, they're not doing it wrong. <laughs> no, and you're um, absolutely right. So, and that's like every department, you know, they, everybody has their own individual tactics. But I think that's important too, because relate that to every day, whether volunteer or career, mm-hmm. there's a reason why we do things the way we do it. Yeah. Not always is it maybe the best or most efficient or right way, but it's the way we do it. Right. And that's part of the culture. That's part of learning, right? Sometimes you got to check it at the door. Mm-hmm. You learn the way of the land, yeah. and that's how we do it. Right. Well, you, you go through these academies, and then you come back, and then you're kind of retaught, but right. you have the basics. Yeah. And you know, that's that's what it yeah. is almost and, everywhere. And, and you know, Baltimore is a very uncomplicated city in its firefighting procedures, if you will. And the fact that you know, if you look at a picture of a fire in a three-story dwelling in 1902, and a picture of a fire in a three-story dwelling yesterday. Basically the same tactics, right? But because it's the same building, so it hasn't really changed a whole right. lot, you know. And that's where you get the difference between like legacy construction in the city and this new lightweight stuff out in the county, quote unquote. And you know, you'll always hear, you know, oh, the county don't do this and the city does that. Well, yeah, but it's not the same, right? You know, and it doesn't make mean that you know the county fireman's a bad fireman, the city fireman's it has nothing to do with that. It's just that if you're going to a fire in a you know three-story brick row home with a flat roof. Well, that's a very different than going to a fire in a you know a three story you know McMansion with lightweight truss construction that was built six sure. months ago. Absolutely. You know you can't really compare the two. Right. right. Um, so let's talk about Baltimore because I don't know much about it. Breakdown engines, trucks, size. The uh, city. I'll. You know what? Here's a good. This is going to be one of your fact checks. I did the no, I mean, but like you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't need no. the exact numbers, but I'm just um, I'm curious how so, big of a city. In it terminology, is. of yeah. you know, because yeah, different stuff. It, so yeah. like you know, um, they call their hydrants plugs. Um, right. you know, a lot of places don't call them that. They just call them hydrant. Um, the uh, about thirty. I'm trying to think, it's thirty-seven engines. We've had some changes. There used to be four squads. Now there's three. Um, we've had some company closures. Even in the very short time that I've been there, I've only been there since 11, and they closed uh, Truck 15 on the east side, and they closed Squad 11. Uh, there were some changes in the SOC program. Yeah. You know, it was good. You're it was bad. You're talking 30-something engine companies. Yeah, 17 trucks, six battalions. Seven. Okay. Um, what do you get on an initial like, box alarm for reported fire? Generally, and the rescue one is the dangler. Because it depends on where in the city. They, is that they, citywide? There's no. one. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, there is one heavy rescue for the entire city. Right. Um, and they take a ton more boxes than, than they used to. But even their response policy has changed okay. a little bit, and that's another conversation. But five engines, two trucks, two battalions, and a medic unit. Well, that's pretty heavy. Um, so the third engine is writ. Um, okay. And um, the culture in Baltimore um, is something that I hadn't really experienced being in the Northeast because again, it's just different. Yep. Um, very fast. Very very fast, and the guys there are amazing. That's awesome. Guys who you wouldn't think, you know, you know, the sixty-two year old senior man who needs, you know, to get up out of the recliner with you using both hands and all his hands and knees, is like an Olympic sprinter going <laughs> to the fire truck. Um, you know, and before drive cam came into play, which was a kind of a game changer for a little while because you know punitive measures and all right, that sort right. of stuff. Um, you know, you go into most firehouses, and the turnout gear of the people who were working was not on the floor; it was inside. They call it the wagon. I'd never really heard that until yep. I went down there, but, you know, yep. in, in the wagon. So that way they could get out the door faster, you know, and they get dressed on the way, which was awesome. You know, I mean, it's all about competition and being prideful of your company. Um, and, I mean, every department has pride in its company, but it's just it's at a different level there. Um, 
and what an amazing job they do. I mean, you know, there's, you can tell by the Instagrams, you get like, you know, the eight engine and 10 truck or 13 engine, 16 truck, you know, their marketing game is on point. Their social media game is on point. They're excellent people. They're very good firemen. They have experience from other places that they can bring in and make their own to make it work in Baltimore. Jack, I'm so glad you hit it. on that, brother, because yeah. that to me is so important right now. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about building culture and and really sell everybody. You got to sell these days. Yeah. You got to sell yourself. You got to yep. sell your services. You got to sell your worth. And these guys, there's pages out there, man, that these guys are doing it right. They understand the value of social media mm-hmm. versus the downfall of social media. When yeah. it's done right, mm-hmm. and you have a fire department or a firehouse full of culture and tradition. And that's what drives them, and they have squared away guys. Yeah, man, social media explodes for these guys. Absolutely, and, and, and it makes you want to be a part of that. And, and like you said, they understand the responsibility of it too. Absolutely. So that's right. You know, it's a and, win. And there's home run. And there's a lot of things that have to do with the social media aspect that you know we could get in a lot of trouble with that too. Of course, um, no I mean, doubt. Every, every agency has their social media policies, right. and let's face it, I'm just as guilty. You know, here we are on live national by radio, and I'm you know putting myself out there. But anyway. Um, you know, there's, there's ways to do it. There's ways to do it tactfully. Um, those guys have got some amazing content. I mean, they get a ton of work. I mean, yeah. It's undeniable. Right. Um, you know, and, and there's other companies in the city who are also doing it. It's just that they don't really market their, you know, their brand, if you will. Yeah. But um, I, but I think for the, for the city of Baltimore, I mean, you're going to get the cream of the crop people that want to go work there. You're going to get guys that are into the fire service mm-hmm. that want to go work there because they get to see what you guys are doing firsthand. Yeah. And this the aspect of how good you are. And that's what I get out of it, right? Like, I look at quality. We get pictures and videos sent to us all the time. We talk mm-hmm. to guys all over the country. Some of the stuff we get, we're like, yeah, it's great. You know, yeah. good job. You guys, you're doing great. There's other departments you look at or other companies. You're like, damn. I'm like, these guys get it. They're squared yeah. away. They go to work. Like right. that, that to me is the best selling point there is. And you're yep. going to, you're going to develop a culture where you're going to get the best of the best. Right. Because that's what you're demanding. And I think that that's where, you know, every firehouse breaks balls. Of course. It, that's the culture, you know, one yep. way or another right. about whatever the topic is of the minute. Cause it's going to change when mm-hmm. someone else screws something up 10 minutes from now. But the marketing game that, you know, companies like, you know, 8 and 10 and 13 and 16 and, you know, um, like not really so much up where I'm in the fifth because we don't really have a lot of it. But those guys putting the content out there and showing what work is being done is also beneficial at the political level. Yes. Because, yeah. you know, city wants to talk about company closures. Really? Well, look at these fire companies just did this, 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 and this. And they're showing this much productivity because unfortunately... The fire department model is different than the business model. I get They're it. not even closely related. Right. But when you have the social media aspect and these guys are out there and showing, hey, we're, we have this productivity, you know, well, oh, oh, well, maybe we really need them. Well, and I yeah, think no kidding. The other thing is that like you watch the videos from 8 by 10 and, you know, and I would say, I, what's the other one that's, uh, there so you have eight by ten oh and 13 engine and 16 truck up the street on mcmeckin right and and you look at these guys and but you when you're if you listen to the sound and one of the things i like to do sometimes is just close my eyes and listen to the video yeah you can actually hear that they're, they're not just like excited to go to a fire they care about the citizens yeah like they're talking to them they're like hey get out of the way come on stay out the building we'll, we'll be we'll, we'll take care of it right. we got it and it's like most of the time i mean i've seen people just Blow right past people and not even. Give of course, it. like we're going to a fire out the way, Jack, and like they're pushing them off to the side. Like these right. guys actually and, care about the city, and you can't and have a job in an area like that and not care. Yeah, I mean, we can all sit here and you know, chest beat and talk about whatever, but 
you have to care about what you're doing. Otherwise, why are you doing it? That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? No doubt. No doubt. All right. So the makeup of Baltimore, we got it. I'm just trying to keep us on track here. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your position. You are on Instagram known as the Irish Tillerman. Yes. Um, One, I get the Irish part. Two, I get the Tillerman part. But how did you get there? How did you get to the truck? How did you so, get to the... Um, my father was a uh, truck man the majority of his career. He was a tillerman most of his career. So all kids who grew up with a father as a fireman want to be just like their father. Yep. And uh, I've wanted you know to get in that tiller cab for as long as I can remember what it is. Doesn't um, every fireman though? Of course. I mean, you know, it's like you're, right. you're absolutely right. Real right. ladder trucks bend in the middle. <laughs> right. And <laughs> the story. General, right. It's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. Yeah. Um, Follow the guy in front of you. <laughs> right. You never get lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which now that I'm driving all the time, I'm like, oh, now I got to learn this district, really. Um, but uh, so went to 23 truck out of the fire academy, and um, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to a tiller truck and. Um, a lot of tillers in Baltimore. Most no? of them are. Yeah. Uh, truck 26 on the east side is a rear mount. Truck 1 is a rear mount. And I think they're the only ones. Uh, yeah, they're the only. Do you guys have a snorkel still? Yes. Okay. Um, so the snorkel, and again, this will be fact-checked because something's probably going to get wrong with this. But anyway, um, the snorkel is at Truck 1 at Old Town, along with the Pierce mid-mount tower that they bought. Yeah. So that's Tower 81. The snorkel, I think, has 51 on the side now. I forget. Anyway, but um, generally, Truck 1 would always be responsible for the water tower is what they, they use for their jargon. And um, generally, third alarms, you know, Truck 1 would take the snorkel. Um, but with all the budget cuts over the years, Truck 1's like fourth due to half the city. So, I mean, they might be on it already, and someone else will have to go get it. Um, truck run, <laughs> Truck 1 runs a lot. Uh, they're very busy. Um, so now you, you've got backup companies so like where I am at Truck 12 up in the northwest and then Truck 30 way over in the northeast, we're now backups for the tower. So if Truck 1's on something and the tower needs to get sent, they'll have one of it, which it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because if you want me to go from Liberty Heights and Garrison all the way to Old Town to pick up a truck to then drive somewhere else, like it's going to be an hour before you, know, yeah. before you get there, but I don't make the decisions. Right, I'm, so they know, do it. Yeah, so... Right. Um, left truck 23. I was invited to go to rescue one. So I went there, had a blast time in my life. The guys who I was working there on that shift on D shift, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in my life, uh, working at Stedman. Pretty young fireman to be. Yeah. um, Never did I, again, never anticipated anything like that happening. Um, was extremely excited to go there. I was only there a year and then, uh, we have an open competitive promotional process for pump operators if you're an engine or emergency vehicle drivers if you're in the truck or the rescue. So I took the EVD exam. And one of the the big selling points for taking those promotional exams in Baltimore is that if you're an EMT firefighter or a paramedic firefighter, you have to take medic unit details. So, you know, on the when we were on the old schedule doing the days and nights, um, if what they called your bucket, like your uh, hours of medic time was low, you might get detailed to the medic both day works and the night work. And then the second night work, you'd be back in suppression, but you'd probably be detailed out. Um, and it's a rough, it's a rough city to work EMS. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's not like it's. Uh, I mean, there's your slew of EMS calls, but there's a lot of other. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, the the personnel who ride the medic unit full time. I mean, like some of the busiest medic units in the nation. Yeah. Um, I think like medic twenty one and medic fifteen and these company medic one. They're taking like over seven thousand runs. You know, so it's. Constant. And they're still working the days and nights. They're not doing 24s, which I don't blame them. Um, yeah. oh. But uh, bless you. Bless so, you. Thank you. 
um, I was at Rescue One for a year, and then uh, I promoted to EVD. And because I was at Rescue One, um, the SOC program was kind of like being reborn again, if you will, uh, for lack of a better term. So Truck 6 down at Locust Point was the only SOC ladder company, and there was an opening, so they sent me there. And uh, that's where I was when I had my uh, spinal cord injury, yeah. and I was out for a while. And uh, that's still something that I'm fighting with, but you know I'm back full duty, so I'm you know, glad to go to fires again. But you, uh, were, you were out for quite some time. Yeah, uh, on several occasions. Um, on September 18th of 14, gorgeous day out. Uh, we just left Stedman. Uh, we were doing a, a high-angle pickoff drill in the basement with Rescue 1. Rescue took a second alarm in a church somewhere up in the northeast. So we went back in service, coming down Light Street, crossing Pratt Lake towards the inner harbor. We were taking a, a 10 cent car accident. And um, there's a big dip in the roadway there. And uh, I'm in the, you know, in the tiller cab, and I also saw the tractor make the big dip, and I went, oh no. And um, seatbelt tensioner in the truck failed. So I felt the seatbelt going over my lap, went up, hit the roof of the tiller cab, bounced off the seat, hit my head again, um, ended up at shock trauma. Um, I have spinal cord compression at C3. I have herniated and bulging discs at C3, C4, C5, C6, C6, C7, L4, L5, L5, S1. It's like Battleship, uh, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> this definitely sunk my Battleship. Um, so, like, this time, like, I can't feel my fingers. I can't feel my feet. When I lay down flat, my arms and legs go numb. Uh, sometimes I've got balance issues for a while. So I was out of work, like, five months when it first happened. And... Um, when I went back to work, I, was, I went back to six, and it's a slow company, so it, it was kind of like an easier Easy. transition, yeah. if you will. Easy you know, back in. You know, like I was in a, you know, a go get them company that was going to three fires a night. So, um, but you'd still get the occasional fire. It wasn't like we didn't do anything. Um, right. So, you know, two o'clock in the morning, a box would come in, <clears throat> and I go to get up out of the bunk, and I go to run towards the tiller cab, and it looked like I needed a V8. Like I'm falling over, like I'm trying to hold on to the truck, like I'm falling over, putting my. Well, isn't that the way on. you're supposed to drive them? Pretty Hanging much, yeah, right, yeah. Well, and you know what? In that truck, the the design of it was so poor. Uh, six twenty three twenty nine. Who's the other one? Twenty. Um, the tiller cab was lowered like eighteen inches, so all you're looking at is rungs and oops, sorry, the uh, the stanchions like uh, at where the turntable is, and uh, they're sliding doors. Fortunately, but the I'm not going to down Pierce, but their tiller cab designs is not that great with those sliding doors where the doors would get broken. But I would have to tiller like Ace Ventura. So I'd have like one leg like out the door, yeah. you know, one hand, you know, in the center, hold it so I can go over like this. And I'll forget the first time I tilled that truck when it was brand new, we were taking some 10 cent run and um, we made a right off of Ford Avenue onto South Charles Street. And um, I see the tractor go to the left. So I turn around left a little bit, bring the trailer over. Never knew it. As we went <clears throat> past the corner, I saw these four little white helmets in the street. It was the gas company. And I missed them by about that much. Never even knew they were there. And it was all, you know, the visibility was so poor that I'm like, oh, this is a little bit of a different ballgame. You know, the Seagraves have great visibility. The LTIs yeah. that they had before, you know, they weren't well, You're mad. sticking up above a lot with those. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and they had bought <clears throat> these trucks uh, with the lower tiller caps to try to fit them in all the stations because there were some height restrictions that where, you know, um, transfer companies going somewhere else, they go to back in and then they crush the tiller cab. Oops. You know, yeah. so they, <clears throat> they try to get that whole universal spec. Excuse me. And um, now there's so, like a centering thing at, on the cab, right? That you can see. Um, a lot of and a lot of places do, you... do different things. So like ours, we've got we call it a boat light. 
Um, so if you line up the, the knuckle of the steering wheel with the bolt light, you're straight. Um, we have the AC unit and, and high installing, so you guys always yeah. put that right. in the center of your back um, center. I mean, you can do so many things. Like I saw, I don't know if it was on your page. Maybe it was your page. I think somebody tagged me in it. Um, some company had put like a, a collapsible bolt light, but yep. it was collapsing the other way. I mean, there's all sorts of different things you could do. I mean, you could just take a DOT marker light and put it in the center of the light bar on the front. Yeah. You know I mean? You don't have to really get too technical with it. But, um, yeah, that's... <laughs> well, that just about wraps it up. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, so, going one thing I wanted to talk about with the injury though is like uh, you know for guys that are out there and stuff. Yep. Um, if you do get injured, like how important it is just like kind of like one like always know that like there's there's this brotherhood in the fire service, but it's also important to to take care of yourself because you don't yeah. want to get jammed up. Where so, we're so resistant to change, nothing new. Um, right. It's not 1970 anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get hurt, you got to say something. Yeah. Because unfortunately, and th- uh, my chief in the 5th Battalion, uh, this guy's name is uh, John Ellis, um, amazing fireman, you know, a combat Marine, very squared away guy. Um, him and I had a pretty good conversation one day. And I was actually in the process of being pensioned last summer because um, I had another complication from my neck and some things, <clears throat> things were going on. And um, so he's like, you got to do for you because you got to report it. He goes, God, and he was working when uh, this guy, Eric Schaefer was killed at the Clipper mill in rescue one. I think it was like 96. Um, I'm sure I might be incorrect on that. But anyway, he was saying he was a fireman at, at truck three at the time. The chief was, and uh, he goes, when Eric Schaefer was killed, he goes, a senior guy said to him, if you get killed in this job, the first thing that's going to happen is that someone downtown is going to take a piece of paper and they're going to take their pencil and flip it over. And they're going to erase your name. They're going to wipe off the rubber, and they're going to write someone else's name in. And that's what you mean to the city. And I was like, wow. Okay. I mean, and I kind of knew that already after having experiencing so much other stuff, you know, in my personal life and professional life and everything. But it was like, that was that sobering, okay, you know, I am just a number. So it's the point where you need to take care of yourself. And um, if there's guys out there, you know, and... There's tons of stories, you know, guys in the city, uh, you know, my ear, I got long lobes because I got burnt and I went back to work and, you know, my knees are burnt up, but I just wrapped them up. You can't do that stuff anymore because right. now it's all about liability. Yep. You know, who's who's wrong? Who's doing what? You know, are you going to get care? If you didn't report it, now it gets worse. And then now you have to go off because, like, you've got something with the gangrenous after a burn. Well, now it's not line of duty because you didn't report it in the right, right. time. You got you to gotta report it. It's, you know, people might break your balls and, you know, hey, you know, you're a whatever and you know you're weak and this and that but you know what they're not paying your bills right they're not paying your mortgage let me tell you how many guys let me tell you how many guys were paying my bills when i was out when i was losing my house yeah you know i mean i've got a couple of really good core friends um that lieutenant walsh i was talking about uh this kid chris matz who's um at 27 truck now he was a proby school uh, classmate of mine um and everybody james like when i was at this other guy tommy altieri um when i was out and i had my you know neck injury I was in the process of doing my basement over. Um, and actually, another county guy, uh, Jason Cromer from Baltimore County, they were at my house three days a week um, helping me. You know, They were doing most of it, You know, putting down tile, running electrical, you know, doing sheetrock and stuff. You'll have guys that are helping you, but let's face it, how many guys are paying your bills? There's a, ki- a kid right now, uh, Shane Horn. He's an EVD at uh, Truck 23. Probably didn't make the news up here. Poor kid was putting Christmas lights up at his house. 
you know, it was on a ladder and fell, and he's now paralyzed from the waist down. Wow. He's, I'm 39, so he might be like 32, 3, 4, somewhere in there. You know, newly married, um, and now he's looking at the rest of us from the belt buckle line up. You wow. Know? Um, you know, young kid, good fireman. Um, so you, you got to take care of yourself. Cause yeah, and I, I think, I, John, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, 20, 25, 30-year career, your body takes a beating. And, you know, you got to make sure you're protected and covered because when you retire and you're supposed to have the glory years of, of retirement and enjoying your oh my God, kids, yeah. your grandkids, and, and enjoying life. You want to be able but to you can't, up. right? I mean, yeah, that, you know, yeah. that's that's you know, that's something to really think about. I mean, it is, it is a career. It's a passion. It's a brotherhood. It's all of that. But it's also, you know, you got to make sure you take care of yourself. Yeah. And a lot of times, and I know like firsthand too, is a lot of times we put everything else before ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's just inherently who yep. firefighters are, right? Like, yeah. We always look out for the other guy first, and then we worry about ourselves later. I know so many guys that struggle personally, but they're the first guy to give you the shirt off their back. Absolutely. And yep. so, you know, at, at some point, though, we need to make sure that we take care of each other. And, and that's part right. of that conversation we have here quite yeah. often, where we hope we can instill those values into the people that might not are, are coming in without knowing that's how it is. Right. We were talking about before yeah. guys go home, they turn it off. Like, are they in tuned enough to know that, you know, we need to step up and take care of each other, too? Right. I mean, that's that's something that, you know, you, you have to you know, you pray that we teach these guys correctly you yeah. know that and to compound upon that like that's something i look at with my father um and we never even got to talk about that before so my father and i have pretty much the same injuries in our neck and back he was oh, a wow. tillman most of his career so he um ended up trying to think i was working in new york at the time and he went from the busiest truck company to the slowest engine you're like 27 eight nine years in and uh he had had, you know, serious neck and back injuries from being in the tiller cab most of his career. And um, he had peripheral neuropathy, which normally is associated with diabetes. Um, well, he wasn't diabetic, but uh, had some surgeries done. Things weren't going right. Ended up having a spinal cord stimulator implant device put in, uh, which his body rejected, which was a whole big issue with uh, he got a septic staph infection in a spinal cord. Um, was out of work for, and they have accrued sick time, whereas like Baltimore, we don't. It's a, a different setup. But um Typical, you know, old school fireman that, you know, he tapped out sick maybe three times his whole career. Um, You know, showed up to work sick, work hurt, you know, that whole old mantra from, you know, back in the day. And um, so the job didn't know what was going on. And uh, he was out sick. And um, he was running out of sick time. But he had these major surgeries. He had a spinal cord problem. He had infections and so on. And uh, he was able to make it back to work. It was very difficult for him to get back to work. And then when he finally was able to retire with his full 80% pension, um, he was like, you know, he was in so much pain and um, the medications he was on, you know, making him drowsy and, you know, all, all that stuff that goes along with that. And uh, he had to turn in his driver's license, yeah. you know? So it's yeah. like, when this all happened to me, I saw what my poor father went through and it's like, ooh, am I going to end up like that? And, you know, he, he got cut on, you know, he had surgeries, I didn't. Yeah, and that was a very difficult decision to make because it it's all it's always fifty fifty. But right. yeah. once they cut you, it's like yeah. throwing a baseball. That's it. Um, but the surgery will either be a success or it won't. I was like, well, I don't think it's probably a good idea for me to get cut on, so I just deal with it. And, yeah. Uh, but now I see, you know, as a retiree, you know how difficult it is for him because had he not had those problems. 
you would have stayed till he was 65. Right. Right out the door. I mean, he got on and he was 21. No, 22, I think he got on because he, he got on in 75. So he would have stayed till he was 65. He would have had like 40-something years in the fire department. His father had 44 years, and my great-grandfather had like 44 years. That was just that whole, you know, you stay till you can't anymore. Right, yeah. And uh, that was him too. But he was man enough to admit, well, my body can't do this anymore, and if I keep doing this, I'm going to get someone else hurt. Yeah. So he, you know, very hard decision to make that a lot of guys are too proud to make, but he made it. You know, kudos to him. That's a hard decision to make, and uh, that was that. Yeah, so yeah. How, how long were you off the job then on injury? The first time, uh, September through New Year's. So okay. what's that, uh, October, November, December, January. So call it just on to five months, and then um, – I had transferred out of six to go up to 12 to try to get a little bit more fire duty. And um, in October of last year, uh, we were just leaving uh, Old Town after like a, a training. And we're going up 83 uh, to get off at Druid Park to go back to the firehouse. And I'm driving and uh, I had this hot burning pain that went down from basically my hairline to my butt crack. And I couldn't feel the steering wheel and I couldn't feel the pedals. And you know, I'm doing 70 miles an hour on a tractor trailer. So I looked at the lieutenant. Uh, I was like, hey, man, I'm like, uh, something's not right. I'm like, I'll get you back to the firehouse, but I got to go off, you know, with my neck. And um, ended up having more CT scans, uh, x-rays, MRIs. Ended up having a CT myelogram done. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, where I basically got a spinal tap, and they put injected dye into my spinal cord, which was the most excruciating thing I've ever dealt with in my life. I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> and that's where, and this was, you know, four years later, um, and that's when they finally figured out that I had cord compression at C3. And, uh, but they didn't know that right away. Like they have to, you know, do films and live right. floor and all this other stuff. So I, I got out of the firehouse. This was in February, like on a Monday morning. I went and had the procedure done and I had my five days off because that's the way our schedule rotates. So I went back to work the following Saturday. And I was still in a little bit of pain. But I'm like, all right, whatever. So a month went by and I get a phone call. I'm working in the firehouse. And uh, hi, this is Nancy Nurse from Neurology Practice XYZ. Hi, what can I do for you? Uh, we'd like to discuss the results of your CT myelogram. And I'm like, uh, okay. I'm like, well, I'm at work right now. You know, I get out tomorrow morning. And like, you could hear her, like the, the silence over the phone. And all of a sudden she's like, you're working. I'm Yikes. like, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you shouldn't be working. I'm like, well, I'm going to finish my 24. Thanks. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. And, uh, and the, the next morning I had to bang out of my part-time job because we've all got a bunch of different jobs. And I drove out to Hagerstown, Maryland, which is like I don't know, an hour and a half right. west of the city, and sat down with this doctor. And he's like, "Nope, nope, nope, nope. You're all done. You can't do this." And I'm like, "Oh, well, that escalated quickly." <laughs> so uh, called up the firehouse, got a we called a PSI slip for the public safety infirmary, had to go off, and then um, more court cases and you know lawyers and doctors and all this other stuff. And my wife and I had done a projection because I was working like four jobs. Right. Well, now I'm out injured, sick, injured, whatever they were classifying it as, which is a completely different legal conversation. And um, you can't go to work your other jobs. It's workers' comp fraud. Right. right. So savings went down, checking went down, credit cards went up, you know, did a projection. At what point will we no longer be able to pay our bills? Yeah, right. So we figured out that June 1st, we would be late on the mortgage. So we're like, mm, all right, how are we going to do this? So we mulled around with it for like a week. What are we going to do? A uh, girl that I work with at my part-time job, her boyfriend was a builder. Hey, I know a bunch of real estate agents. You know, your house is in a hot market, blah, blah, blah. All right. Gave the guy a call. Sold my house 
like it never even went on the market. Yeah. He's like, I have two buyers for your house right now. I'm like, oh, okay. So my parents being retired, living in Florida, you know, they had a huge house that they could put up my family of five. So we're like, well, there's no residency restriction in Baltimore. If you want to live in Oregon, they don't care. Like right. you can show up to work show on time. Work, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So I had that going for me. So we sold the house, uh, even though I didn't want to, but I'd rather make money on it than get foreclosed on. So sold the house, moved to Florida with my parents temporarily. I was flying back and forth for court cases and, oh my God, but I wasn't paying a mortgage. So, you know, the one paycheck I was getting from the fire department, we were able to survive on with, you know, the car payments and cell phones and insurance and, you know, all that other stuff, diapers. And um, had another meeting with a different attorney and uh, he's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, what do you mean? What do I want to do? I want to, I want to go back to work. He goes, okay. Now, <clears throat> digress a little bit. I got a letter in the mail. City Fire Department Human Resources says, uh, you have termination of non-line of duty medical leave effective July 21st. And this was like 4th of July weekend. I'm like, non-line of duty? What? What are you talking about? All right. So I call up my old captain from my old house because he was intimately familiar with what was going on. Talk to him, talk to the union president, talk to a couple other guys. And they were like, you need to get up here quick and do some stuff. I'm like, okay. So I drove up. Took forever because it was 4th of July weekend driving from Cape Coral, Florida to Baltimore. Don't ever do that. Horrible, Don't horrible idea. Hard um, no on that one. Right. So um, met with a couple of different doctors and uh, a lawyer and uh the lawyer of all people, he sat me down and explained Maryland case law and why it's not in line of duty. Turns out there's this rule on the books from like a million years ago that if your injury is older than two years, it's no longer valid. So, and I went back to work full duty. So you're fine. Because then it's, well, how do we know that you didn't, you know, right, run into the catcher yeah. playing softball? You know what I mean? Or get hit by a bus at the corner so, of walk and don't walk. So, what? So all right. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking, I'm just... Yep. So what? So where are we? I mean, what? So so after all that was said and done, this lawyer was like, "Well, here's the deal." He goes, "I'm not a doctor, but I deal with broken firemen all the time." He goes, "You want to go back to work, right?" I said, "Yeah." He says, uh, "In the time that you came back from your original injury, and you have all these problems and blah blah blah," I said, "Yeah." He's like, uh, "How many more times did you hit your head in the tiller cab?" I'm like, "I don't know. It happens all the time. It's a tiller truck. We all hit our heads all the time." As he goes, "And how many times did you pull a ceiling down and hit you in the head?" Like, I'm in a truck. It happens all the time. Every, Every So fire. he goes, and how many times did you break your neck and die? And I'm like, uh, never. He goes, right. He goes, so from an outsider standpoint, the odds of you breaking your neck and dying are the same as everybody else. It's 50-50. Either it happens or it doesn't. I'm like, okay, I can, I can dig that. He goes, so you want to go back to work? I said, yeah. He goes, call your doctor right now. Tell him you want to get another evaluation and to clear you for full duty, and we'll fight to make it happen. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. I called up the doctor, went through, did that whole thing, had a whole bunch of other meetings with people, and uh, they put me through a functional capacity evaluation, did fine, and went back to work. And then I commuted from Florida to Baltimore for like five months. Southwest Airlines made a ton of money off of me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so um, made it back, and uh, that was like a huge undertaking and stress and you know you know how guys are oh this bum don't come to work blah blah, blah. it's like no it's a little bit more complicated than that yeah so yeah. i mean I, I think that's always one of the things that upsets me about the fire service is that when brothers and sisters get hurt um you don't know the pain they're going through because you're not experiencing it yourself yeah 
you yourself as the injured person would never want that pain to anybody. Right. But because you're not there all of a sudden, and I don't know where it comes from. And I don't know if it's a thing with management, but it's like, they want to tr- like throw you out almost like, yeah. like trash. Like, Hey, yep. like the, 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 you're expendable. This is, this is no good anymore. We got to get rid of it. Right. And that's really, cause like, especially things like back, back injuries, you know, and they're so complicated. Right. And you can't like, like you, somebody could look at you and be like, well, he just looks like he's sitting there. Like he's fine. Like he's just not unhappy about the, you know, right. the Red Sox or something. And it's like, no, he's, he's in pain. And right. like, as I, I have a Lieutenant who's, who's out of injury. And every now and then, like, I remember one of the most embarrassing things for him was at a dinner. He inadvertently spilled everybody's drinks on the table. Oh, wow. Because he had that spasm come through and that, that pain, that shot of pain came up and that arm just went out like that to grip the table to hold on. Yep. And then you have administration being like, well, it's costing me a position. And right. I, so I, I just, I, yeah. I've always. So, I mean, the bean counter perspective, I get it, you know, but it's like the, the personal yeah. avenue. It's like, well, you're still okay. a human. Right. Right. Like, yeah. So where are you now? Uh, well, I'm hanging out here with you guys. Yeah, I mean, but, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, um, you're back on the line. Yes. Where you want to be. Yeah, back to work. Um, you know, I still deal with the things I got to deal with. You know, I still get neck pain. I get headaches and whatever, but uh, just deal with it. You know, I'd much rather deal with that and be able to go to work than be sitting at home bored to tears of with, you know, watching the same shows over and over again. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just, you know, getting your story today and hearing where where you've come from, where you've been, where you're going. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is you. This you were yeah. born to do this. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no, there's no way around that. So it's uh, you can show up and go to work because that's yeah. not what your job is, but it's your passion, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, that's what drives me. I mean, you know, how many people out there love going to work every day? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's. I mean, we can all bitch. Oh, I don't want to go to work tomorrow, but I still want to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. You know, um, so I think just before we wrap up, because we were going for almost an hour and a half here. Um, the last thing I just wanted to touch on was that you worked in a, a pretty decent event. I mean, some would say it was an incident that was noteworthy. The Baltimore riots right back in yep. 2015. Like, did you come like, cause I know a lot of the country watched that on the news sure. and they got a different perspective that was fed to them. But I mean, for you being in the city and like Baltimore firefighters, uh, love the city. Like they love the people that work there yeah. or that, that live there rather they, they serve and protect. So like you had to have felt that coming up. Like that was, yeah. I know driving through, I felt it, you know, right. like I would stop at chaps pit beef or yeah. something like that <laughs> from Monrovia road there. And, right. You know, and people were just angry. Like, so what was it um, for, for you from your, your end of the day of, so that was my regular 24. Okay. Um, that was, I'm trying to, was it a Monday? I forget what day of the week it was. It was a, a baseball game. Actually, the Red Sox were playing the Orioles. Um, that was, a, yeah, so that was, I think, Saturday. And there was some uprising around Camden Yards, and they were trying to blame it on the Red Sox fans and whatever. Um, and then the day of Freddie Gray's funeral, that's when everything popped off. So I was down six truck at the time, very slow company. And we were actually out on a medic run down at a pier doing a, like a pickoff off of an ocean going salt freighter, like high ropes, all stuff. So like we, we're calling for rescue one for ropes. And they're like, yeah, rescue one's not available. Like, oh, okay, well, how about squad 26? Nope, squad 26 is not available. Why? Like, squad 26 goes as little places as we do. You're, you're and, looking uh, at your right. radio. Is this thing and, uh, not working right? So, <laughs> so anyone we, can so, help us Yeah, right so now. we clear that after doing all that. And we're going back to Ford Avenue. And I'm like, I'm looking at columns of smoke. I'm going, what are we missing? 
So I'm like going to different channels. I'm in the telecab. Like, what's going, what are we missing? So we're back in the quarters, and that's like right around when the CVS had lit off, and there was some other stuff going on. And um, you know, we ended up going to a couple other different fires and east to west and all this other stuff. But um, the looks that you would get going up the street, it really, it didn't really feel like it was that different than any other night, other than the fact that it was much busier. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there was some people like there was a couple of companies that got stuff thrown at them. Um, we didn't get anything thrown at us. Um, it sounded like we were getting shot at at one point. We were like north and uh, man, north and Asquith, maybe. I think. Uh, anyway, like you can hear, you could hear gunshots in the background. Um, but um, it, it was definitely high tension. But I mean, it, that's just Baltimore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a t- like I don't think a lot of people. I didn't fully understand the makeup of Baltimore until the last few years, just in my, my personal life and my career, I, we've been picking up more and more clients down that way. So I've been spending more time down that way on trips. And I never really realized that how tough of a city Baltimore is. I told you to watch the wire. And that, and that is so true. But like last, like last summer, for example, you'd come into work, uh, well, two summers ago and, um, like, I, I'm always in early. Uh, that's just kind of how I am. I like to get in, like, really early. I saw so, that this uh, morning. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so I come in, you know, take the guy who I'm relieving, take his gear off, put my gear on. Go into the kitchen, start cooking, and you hear, on the apparatus bay door. You go up, open the bay door, somebody shot laying in the street. And that would happen, like, almost every shift, for like two or three shifts. Um, well, I shouldn't say that, like two or three weeks, rather. And uh, guys beat up with a two-by-four. Um, we were out on a cardiac arrest one day. The chief calls up on the radio. I've got four people shot out front, and that's just. Do you get machete attacks in Baltimore? People using a machete in a crime. Uh, I'm sure it's happened. Okay. I haven't had it. There is a there is a string. Well, no, just because there was a same summer. There was a string of like people hacking at people with a machete. Like it was like the weapon of choice in in PG County. And I was oh uh, like, well, yeah. I mean the PG and like the whole. Gang, MS-13, st- that's, yeah. you know, like Langley Park area. I mean, yeah, they get... Yeah, yeah. I, I, sure. <laughs> I, I just, right, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. I mean, we're, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we get like five, six a day. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. we have that around here. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Tucker's going to tell you about Hohokus the other yeah. day. <laughs> I think... They had a suspicious person with a little hot take. Right, right. I think where I was going yeah. with this, though, is, you know, I'm just kind of bringing it around full circle, yeah. is that, you know, you grew up in Boston. Mm-hmm. Go to New York City. Right. You end up in Baltimore, and all the stuff in between makes you who you are today. Yeah. And now you're in a city that has an aggressive fire department, mm-hmm. highly regarded with some of the best guys that you've ever served with. Definitely. You have this incredible burning passion for the job. So even regardless of injuries that sustained on duty that you deal with every day, you're still going to work because you want to. Yeah. And it's a tough town. And you right. see a lot of work, but you also see a lot of the downside of humanity. Definitely. And that's something that, you know, you'll see, and this is kind of strange, we'll ride up and down Garrison Boulevard, which is one of the main thoroughfares uh, in my district, and you'll see women who don't belong there, that they look clean today. Next week you come to work, they're standing in the same place, in the same clothes, not as clean. Right. And it progressively gets worse as the day, as the days and weeks go on. If you pick up what I'm putting down, yeah, and that's all the time. Um, that area is very heavy for prostitution, very heavy for drugs, 
Um, I don't think that there's no place in this nation as good as Baltimore right now for a heroin ep- epidemic. It's uh, I mean, you guys pretty hard. Yeah, in that I mean, city. like, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, like, especially like if you go downtown, like Stedman, where the rescue is, and you go up Utah Street, they call it uh, like Zombie Land. Yep. You know, Lexington Market. Yeah. Um, they're just moseying around. Like, nothing phases them, you know, or like the Baltimore lean. Mm-hmm. You know, can, can they get their head to touch their toes, you know, as they're standing up? Like, that's all the time. But I, I guess where I was going with this is that, you know, that's got to take its toll. Yeah, I and mean, it's the companies run a lot. I mean, whether you're downtown or you're on the east side or the west side, companies are running and running and running and running right all the time. We have suppression units that are outrunning medic units. Wow. Like five truck is, I don't know if they're going to break 6,000 runs or not, but they're at that point. And, you know, brand new, you know, Tiller truck, and it's getting beat up already it's like two two years old but i know a lot of i know there's a lot of neighborhoods that are burned up boarded up empty lot yeah. i mean it's uh, yeah. you it, know it i don't i don't know the exact number i'm yeah. sure someone can figure it out but there's you know tens of thousands of vacant buildings uh the governor at one point had put some money aside and they were starting to tear down vacants yeah um but you can only spend so much money to do that um but the thing is you know what what actually is vacant and and everybody has that argument well, Vacant building didn't just catch on fire on its own. Yeah, right. You know, uh, there had to be some right. human influence. So, you know, you see, like, you go into the alleyway and the way that, like, the blocks are set up, you'll have, you know, the row homes, the side street, and then the alleyway between the two blocks. Right. And you'll go through, and there's all the overgrown grass, but then you've got the downtrodden path. Mm-hmm. You can tell where, you know, the vagrants go in, and that's where they use, you know, for a place of refuge. Right. That's where they live. Or, you know, you've got people who are victims of violence who get, you know, attacked, and that's where they're seeking shelter. Whatever the reason is, there's still somebody in there. Yeah. You know, and you'll see, you know, a lot of people out there, oh, you're not supposed to go in the vacants and blah, blah, blah. And well, you kind of have to. And and not for nothing. But the other thing is, if you don't put out the middle room, <laughs> it's going to keep burning. Yeah. You're yeah we're going to be right. here all night. Yeah. But I think, I, you know, I, I just, I think, um, I think how to wrap this and, and where I'm going with this is that, you know, there's that burning desire for the job. Yeah. Your bloodline has created who you are. The city you're in, I think, fits you perfectly. Thank you. I really do, because I, yeah. I listen to how much you love the job, and you speak in detail, and we could talk for hours, and we're going to. When this, yeah. when this camera turns off, yeah. there's actually a couple things I want to do that we're probably going to go back on camera and sure. shoot a couple yeah. other uh, things that I want to talk about, because because you have such a pedigree and such a, such a history behind you, um, the hours and hours of conversations. But to wrap this... What a culture, man. I mean, you Thank grew you. up You grew up as a, a student of the fire industry. Yeah. And you are now 30, under 40 years old. You're a few years right. behind me. And, man, I still see it, man. I see it on your Instagram pages. You and I have talked, right. texted. I just still feel that coming out of you, how much you, you love the like, job. I tell everybody, this is the best job in the world. And, like, I see you know young kids at my other job where I work um, in the medical field. They're coming in for you know job application. I have to do their medical review, and I'm like, so what do you want to do with your life? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I'd like to get into the police department, or I'd like to get into the fire department. And I'm like, well, do you have any exposure? Do you have any family in it? No. And I'm like, here, go look at this. Yeah. You're right. Should I be doing that? At, you know, another place of employment. You know, taking employment. No, but it's like you have to. And a lot of them are vets, guys who just came back from wherever overseas, and you know they were never a volunteer. They never right. have been in their family. Maybe they just need that little bit of exposure to say, hey, hey, this is where you can go and read something. This is where you can go to apply. And you never know the, the caliber of fireman you're going to get out of that. It should really give us a course for firefighters that's called, like, 
the fire department guidance counselor. Cause yeah. I feel like there's a lot of that that happens where people will, take, I mean, even in our culture of mentor mentorship, right? Like bringing those guys in and saying like, Hey, like, did you learn something today? You know? And, and this is where you get it. Like that's cause it's really when you said that, it's like, yeah, you're that guidance counselor kind of leading that guy into or girl into the, uh, Right. In the spot to get the information to make the decision. And even growing up in a fire service family, I mean, like we talked about, you know, you just found out that you could be paid. I never even heard of volunteers, but like, you know, the P, the whole PG element, which is its right. own world, yeah. right? Yes. And some of the best firemen around come out of PG County, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. you can't even argue that. So I had never heard of it. Like, I wish I knew about that when I was yeah, 18. Yeah, I said the same yeah. thing. You know, like, about there's so many things, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know anything. I knew that Chicago had the White Sox and the Cubs. You know, Chicago, great fire department. There's great fire departments everywhere, but there's so many ways, like Christiana, that gets yep. talked about, and I, I know they've been talked about on this show. Yep. Um, wealth of knowledge, tremendous firemen, guys from all over the go that are volunteer. Who's heard of Delaware? Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, really? Joe Biden. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Jack, I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I thank you, man. I thank, thank you for sharing you your story today. My I know there's being so here. much more yeah. to it yeah. <laughs> and we could go and go and go, but, right. um, you know, you shared some personal stories today that I think, um, you know, I think people can resonate with and, and so on. And so, I mean, we wish you nothing but the most success you. of your career thank you for and having your me. health. We hope, uh, you know, yeah. that, uh, you know, you're standing upright and if not, uh, I'll hold you upright. So no I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's been a pleasure to have you. And, um, you know, we've been going, but uh, we're going to wrap and then uh, cool. we'll come back and we'll do some other stuff with you. Awesome. So I appreciate it, man. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Rob, are you going to take us out on this? I'm going to take what? us out. You're going to take us out. Yeah. Do it. All right. Everybody, Rob, National <laughs> Fire Radio with the Irish Tillerman. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Jeff Dewan and Jeremy Hi. Tucker. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Be safe. Thanks.